0: in the name of the father and son the holy spirit one god amen today we are first samuel chapter seven let's maybe just get a quick review we talked about how samuel the prophet is considered to be the last judge of israel after samuel we're going to start seeing the the period of kings we saw that samuel was raised in a very bad environment Yet he turned out to be a very holy man, righteous man. And we saw that the people of Israel strayed away from God, and God delivered them to the Philistines. And after a while, they repented. After they've lost all their army, their whole army was dismantled. The city of Shiloh, where all the holy, uh, uh, holy worship was destroyed. And they basically were slaves. So they finally repented. Remember the last chapter when they repented? Then Samuel called a, a meeting to all the congregation. And we said having a large gathering is obviously worrying some for the Philistines. Nobody, nobody who occupies a country would want their, the people who are under them to have a large gathering. Because they can protest. They can, they can form a rebellion. So now they're coming against the people of God. The people of God had no army, no weapons. So what they did was they, they prayed. And they told Samuel, pray for us, because we have really nothing there is nothing we can do. And if you guys remember last time Samuel took a lamb and he offered it to God and on behalf of the people, and we saw that God sent a thunder from heaven and that noise of thunder scared the philistines so they all ran away and from that time israel started to gain its power so we're going to continue from verse uh, 10 now as samuel was offering up the burnt offering the philistines drew near to battle against israel but the lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the philistines that day and so and and so confused them that they were overcome before israel and the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as Beth So we talked a little bit about what happened before when the, when the Israelites initially did not have God on their side, the Philistines were courageous. When they had God on their side, now the Philistines were afraid. This is what happens in our spiritual life. When I'm walking with God, the devil is scared. And he's actually worried that i'm gonna be a light to the world when i'm walking far away from god i am scared i am worried and we all feel this when you commit a sin the first feeling the first feeling that comes into our hearts are usually guilt and fear usually guilt and fear see what samuel did and samuel took a stone this is verse 12 set it up before Mizpah and Shen and called, it in, called its name Abinazer saying thus far the Lord has helped us this is apparently the area that he picked between Mizpah and Shen this is the area apparently where the Philistines have drawn back they've, they've, they, uh, they were pushed back until to that point point. and he built, when he takes a stone this is by the way the simplest concept of an altar in the Old Testament, he takes a stone and put a little bit of holy oil on it. That becomes an altar. In the oldest. So he took a stone. And he, he basically built an altar. And he called it Abinazer. Thus for the Lord has helped us. A couple of points about this, this verse. Number one. One of the most important things in our life. Is to constantly remember the work of God in our life. When we remember the work of God in our life We become more thankful We have our faith increased We have more trust in God When we remember his work One of the worst things we can do As a children of God Is to forget all the times that God worked in our own life Also there's another thing that's very important Things happen in our life all the time And God interferes all the time But there are some time I'm able to see it and some time I'm not able to see it. When is it that I'm able to see it? When I'm walking with God. You guys know a famous saying for Albert Einstein. He said, in your life, it's either everything is an accident or everything is a miracle. It's either everything is an accident or everything is is a miracle there's a beautiful story that I read about one of the saints where she was saying that there was something going on wrong at the convent and she was praying praying very hard and she didn't know should I speak should I not speak should I speak should I not speak and then God told her don't speak I'm going to have somebody else speak and when somebody spoke against the, the, the mistakes she saw that she saw somebody speaking against something wrong that's happening she saw God's hand in that one of the worst things we can do is we live our life without seeing God's working. You think you're away from God. That's why our Lord in the Gospel of the Shepherd, he said, my sheep know my voice. This is a very critical statement because I must know the voice of God. I must know the hands of God in my life. So what happened? So the Philistines were subdued. This is the enemy. And they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Now, they have almost gained a spiritual progress. Victory over sin. Why? Because there is a holy man praying and interceding on behalf of people. They finally got a victory over sin. And now God's judgment is no longer against Israel but against the Philistines, against their enemy. Because when I walk with the devil, God's judgment is against me. Now God's judgment is against the Philistines. One person like Samuel made a huge difference in the life of a full congregation, a full nation. And that should remind us of our important role in life whether at school whether at home, whether at work one person who lives a holy life can have a significant impact on people around them and we see this a lot in funerals or for example some funerals you see somebody who departed and some of his co-workers will come and talk about how they saw Christ in him it's very important then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel, were restored to Israel. From Akron to Goth, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there were peace between Israel and Amorites. So Akron and Goth are the easternmost cities of Philistines. So these areas were taken. Now Israel restored it back. I think it's almost like when we live in sin, what happens? Certain things are taken from me. Some thoughts are now dedicated to the sin. Some feelings are dedicated to the sin. Some action, some money, some many things are dedicated to the sin. So now what happens is, God restores it back to me. God restores it back to me. Before my mind was not clear. Now it's clear. Before, I always had Doubting thoughts. I've always desired different things. Now the thoughts are different. I'm back to my first love. And then God grants us one of the greatest gifts, which is peace. It says peace between Israel and the Amorites. They had victory over sin, and then all their other enemies now they want to have peace with them. They have no army. They have no army at this point. But God's grace covered them. And worked in their life to the point that they were able to overcome sin and be restored. And that's another important idea. The concept of restoration. Sometimes when I sin... The devil convinces me that when I go back to God, I have to start all over again. But we call our God as the God of restoration. He brings us back to where we were. He brings us back to where we were. So he can keep to push us to move forward. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, to Gilgal, to Mesbah, and judge israel on all in all these places but he always returned to rama for his for his home was there there he judged israel and there he built an altar to the lord so samuel this is a very good sign of a successful person and a successful leader what does he do he has a schedule he has a plan there are cities that are key cities so he will go to every city spend some time judging And spend some time building an altar to pray. He has a plan, a schedule. And having a routine and a system in our life helps us to be fair, to be organized. People do not get stumbled on what we do because I have a system. And as a leader he also wanted to make it easy for people. Like he could have asked everybody if you have a problem, come to me in Ramah. But he wanted to also go outreach and sacrifice his own comfort to, his, to talk to the people and see their problems are. And Ramah, by the way, is his own town. So when, when Shilo was destroyed, the next center the next center was Ramah. So Jerusalem is the famous one. We're going to study it later. Shilo. This is where the Tent of Covenant was. And when that city was destroyed or that place was destroyed, Rama became the place where they worshipped. So Samuel lived the life of a stranger, a sojourner. He goes from one place to another, from one place to another. Everywhere he goes, he's a man of prayer. He prays. He builds an altar. He doesn't go and spend time eating and drinking and having good time. He goes everywhere pray. Work and leave. Pray, work and leave. That's why he was able to lead a life of repentance. Be able to be a good judge. And also be able to be the prophet of Israel. So, so good. So far, so good. This is almost... Now we're kind of wrapping up the life of Samuel. And we will start the period of Kings right now. But just before we go to the period of Kings, it's important to see how Samuel as a prophet, as a judge, lived. He lived with bare minimum resources. He goes around, judges, goes back to his house, very simple house, very simple life. And God wanted Israel to look this way. So all nations can look at this, be like, look at this nation. This nation doesn't have a king. They live like almost tribal. They are very weak. But every time a nation comes, they see them strong. they would be like, "What's? why they're strong? Because they believe in God. Now let's see what happens in chapter 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, Took bribes and perverted justice. Samuel was trying to follow the Levitical system. You'll see this in Deuteronomy seventeen eight to 3, 8 to thirteen. God gives gives orders for for judges to to go to, for people to go to priests for if they have if they have any cases if they have any if they want people to judge. And you see, I'm going to read some of it. If cases come before your courts that are too difficult to you to judge, whether bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, take them to the place of the Lord. Uh, take them to the place the Lord your good will choose. Go to the Levitical priest and to the judge who is in the office at that time. Inquire of them, and they will give you the verdict. So God told them in Deuteronomy if you have an issue, go to the priest, go to the judges, and they will judge. But Samuel did what's expected. He ordained his children to judge after him. Now, this is probably one of Samuel's weakest points in his life. His children were not like him. They are not as bad as Eli's son, because Eli's son committed adultery in the altar. They disrespected the sacrifice. They were extremely disrespectful to the work of God. The children of Samuel, it looks like Samuel raised them well, but the Bible said they turned aside. It looked like they were raised in a good home. As they get older, they started making decisions away from what they have seen. And they started taking bribe. What's the problem with taking bribe? Is you no longer will have credibility when you talk. You no longer will be genuine. And that causes you to lose who you are the purity of the way that God created you. The purity of the way that God created you. Every time I sin, every time I sin, I become less credible. Unless I get cleansed and I get cleaned. And the children of Samuel, even though they grew in a good household, they saw their father a prophet. And later on, we will see that people knew that Samuel almost knows everything. They chose to turn aside from God. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? That somebody has a great example in front of them, but they still want to experiment in the dirt, in the garbage. You haven't seen the peace and the joy on the, on the people that walk with God. Why do you experiment with the garbage?" So they said. Then all the elders of Israel look, this is this is where the shift happens. And all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel Trauma and said to him, "Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations make us king why to judge us like what? Like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The fact that all the tribal leaders gathered together, it means there was like a almost like a political council that came together, and it seems like they had a strong say. And we will see this tribal leaders had a very strong say, even with the king life. Okay? So they came to Samuel and told him, we want to have a king like other nations. Be careful. Samuel's son did not walk according to his way. True. They did not ask him, why don't you give us different judges? Why don't you put a system that we may have good judges? They used the excuse of how Samuel's children turn out to be to change what God intended for them to be. And we are very good at manipulation sometimes. You take the faults oh, that's happening of your parents or your, or, or, or your servants or uh, Abuna, whatever it is, and manipulate it so you can get what you want. It's obvious that Samuel's children were not walking according to God's will. Very obvious. But instead of asking, let us get new judges, they told him, make us a king like every other nation. But you're not like every other nation. You're not. You're not like everybody else. Why are you trying to copy people? Why are you trying to dress and talk and listen And do what everybody else is doing. The Israel was to be distinct between all nations in Leviticus 20, 26 and Numbers 20, 23, 9. By being the nation of God. God is your king. You don't want God to be your king? No. They don't want God to be their king. You see, this is a spiritual problem. And it seems a little bit subtle. It seems subtle. But this subtle problem will be the beginning of a whole life of evil that will come afterwards. Yes, having a king would give them certain looks army, uniformity. They're going to look like a more decent, like, you know, palaces and all that stuff. But they will lose the direct protections of God. Obviously, this is an insult also to Samuel, because who's leading them, Samuel. So when they told him we need a king, it means like you know we're putting you aside now. We're gonna have another leader, so you just step aside. But look at Samuel. Samuel was upset. Yes, but what did he do when he was upset? He prayed. Honestly, I don't know what was going on in his mind, but I think part of him wanted to pray to search his intention. Was he sad because Israel rejected God as a king, or was he more sad because Israel rejected him as a king, as a as a as a judge over them? The best thing about Samuel that he was a man of prayer. Every word, every, every problem he has, he prays. So Samuel went to pray. See what God said. And the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Wow. The rejection of Israel was actually directed at God. So God is supposed to be hurt and offended and disrespected. He's all-powerful. But he's comforting Samuel. Hello Samuel, it's not about you. You did a very good job. They don't want me. They don't want me. They don't want me to be their king. Can you imagine... They don't want me to reign in their life. They want their careers. They want their friends. They want their reputation. They want other things to reign in their life. But not me. You know what is so, so, so... Like, mind-blowing? Is that God, way before Israel asked for a king... He set the rule for a king. He knew that they were going to ask for a king. He knew they were going to ask for a king. And he knows, be careful because this is very important. He knows that having a king is a manifestation of their rejection of God. But he still did not leave them. And he said, I will still work with you even though you have rejected me. How is that different from the cross? Look what God said in the De- Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. This is the time of Moses, 17, from 14 to 18. Look what He says. I'm going to read the passage because it's important. It's, we're going to use it a lot. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, and say, "I will sit a king over me like all nations that are around me," God is telling them exactly what they're going to say. He said, you're going to come to the promised land and you're going to say, we want a king like all the nations. He shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall sit as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses. These are the requirements. He should not have horses, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses for the, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor he shall greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Obviously, all the kings that came, Solomon, even David, Saul, all the kings disobeyed all these laws. They had horses, they had wealth, they had multiple wives. And it shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. And from the one before the priests and the Levites, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. So the king should write the Bible and read it all the time. That he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, and be careful to observe all the words of his law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. That he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left. Remember, we talk about people going either extremes. So sometimes the left, we all know the left sinning and going far away. The right is also another extreme where somebody all of a sudden wants to fast long hours. They haven't even fasted before. They want to do too much matanians. They want to do a lot of readings. Be careful. Sometime when you do too much, you get hit with self-righteousness, pride. Sometimes you won't be able to persevere long term that his heart may not, be li- uh, may, may not be turned to the right and to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Can you imagine? This is what happens with us every day. God knows that I'm going to reject him. I'm going to say no to him. And he's going to tell me, no worries. I have another plan for you. Yes, the other plan has an element of it that shows your disobedience to me and shows your rejection to me. But I'm still prepared to work with you. And people say the God of Old Testament is a mean God. What are you talking about? He prepared a system. God, yeah, I'm going to use this expression, and God forgive me. He's the 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 Lord. He's the best team player, honestly. Like people rejected him, do not want him, and he said, You know what? I'm going to give you, no problem, I'll work with you. I'll get you a system. I'll help you to pick a king. I'm going to give you the qualities that actually will make your king successful. Wow. Wow. Every day Israel sees their king, they should remember that they rejected God. Every day. Every day I see the consequence of sins in my life I shall remember That I have rejected God And that also helps me to understand That sometimes, Because we're so far away from God Certain sins we haven't seen yet And the nation of Israel Will have king for many years And none of them will repent For having a king Because it became the norm It's a new style. You forgot. You're not like other nations. They forgot. Now therefore, heed their voices. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So God told them, look, do whatever they want, but show them what the king will do. If you guys, if ever go home and look at Leviticus... 27, uh, verses 30 and 32 and Leviticus uh, 25. I'm going to give you some of, the, some of the kings. The king will demand the tithe of Israel grain, vintage and flock. So everybody will take their tithe and give it to the king instead of God. He would lay claim to their lands and even their own beings. Now the king will own their lands and own them. Unlike the Lord, however, human kingship, Would not result in the deliverance from Israel. But rather the kings will oppress Israel. Wow. So the people are looking for oppression. They want to be like every other nation. To be enslaved like every other nation. God warns them. You want to follow this path? Follow this path. And then sometime we we'll come back and be like, why did God allow this in my life? Why? Because you requested it, you wanted it. Why did God put this person in my life? God gave you warnings, but you kept pursuing this person. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. Samuel gave them all the pros and cons of their decision the pros and cons of decision. And he said, Thus, there will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. This is the behavior of the king. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. The king, your children, the ones you love, they're going to be slaves. They're going to be running in front of his chariots. Hey, behold, come the king. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, he will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to, perform, to, uh, to be perfumers, to make perfume, cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vintage, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vintage and give them to his office and servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and he will put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Samuel is telling them, look, you want to have a king? It's a terrible idea. He's going to not only take your wealth, he's going to take your children to work for him. And not only this, the Bible, by the way, is using the same language when Pharaoh oppressed Israel, the same language for the king oppressing his own people. Tell them a king means a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of people working in the administration, people eating at his table, People cooking for him, buildings, all that stuff. Who's going to pay for it? You're going to pay for it. Are you willing to do this? You're going to cry for relief. Are you sure you want this? Some people enjoy the slavery of sin. Some people enjoy the slavery of sin. I remember, like, one of, the, one of the leaders of the Enlightenment, his name is Thomas Hobbes. He said something interesting. He said, human beings cannot work together well because they are selfish. So they surrender their ability to, to an authority that forces them to behave. Thomas Hobbes wanted to come up with a political system away from God. So what did he say? Human beings cannot work together well because they are what? Selfish. So they surrender the ability to an authority that forces them to behave. The existence of a king is a reflection of our ability to work with God. When I have anything that reigns over my life, even a cup of coffee that I cannot go on with my day without it, Some people in the Great Lent cannot abstain because of the coffee. Anything that reigns over me, anything that reigns over me is a sign that I have rejected God and chose something else. Nevertheless, after he warned them, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That we may also be like all the nations. Again, they want to be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us. And go out before us and fight our battle. You see, they did not take any time to pray. To think. When somebody has lust over sin. When somebody has lustful thoughts. And lust over sin. And they want something so bad. This is the reaction. No prayer. No logic. Anger. Rage. No logic. They just, yes, we want to have it. You don't see the grace you have. That you're your own people. Your children work for you. They're in your house. Every tribal le- leader of you, you are, you are taking care of your family. You have much more wealth now. No, no, I don't want any of this stuff. I don't want any of this stuff. I want a king. And Samuel heard the words of the people and he repeated, them in the hearing of the Lord So the Lord said Samuel heed their voices And make them a king And Samuel said to the men of Israel Every man go to his city Look at this beautiful verse Samuel heard what the people said He told God Well I don't know how this happens But this happens all the time For it seems even in the midst of a congregation Samuel is able to hear the voice of God I'm not sure if he left him Went inside to pray and came out or while he was sitting. Who knows. Sometime when you see the saints. Even when you talk to them face to face. Somehow they have a connection with God. So he repeated all this stuff to God. And God told him listen to their voice. So Samuel said. I will. When he told them, everybody go home. It means he dismissed the council. Dismissed the city. And told them. Basically I, agree, I will confirm to your demands. I will confirm. This almost reminds me of the prodigal son when he, when he asked his father for something that is not good for him his father told him if this is what he wants I'll give it to you it humiliates me it rejects me I'll let you try it I'll let you take it and sometime in raising children in certain ages of life sometime as a parents we want to make all the decisions for our children but sometime they must try when they try and they fail they come back and they see the world in a different light hopefully they come back too soon not after a lot of damages that happen now we're going to start chapter 9 so now we're, now we're starting to think about, we want a king. So now for the next two chapters, I'm going to just prepare you to understand what's happening. God is going to show us how he's going to make the next king meet with Samuel. It's a very strange story, and it seems like very random and very like, just all the events seem like, okay, what's, what's happening? But it's just going to show you that every small thing happens with the providence of God. With the control of god so let's read this there is a man of benjamin whose name was kish the son of abel abel the son of zero the son of Pikrath, and the son of Apha, a benjaminite a mighty man of power so there's a man from kish and he is from benjamin if you guys remember the tribe of benjamin was actually one of the smallest tribe why because in the book of judges they committed evil and all the other tribes fought them so they became the smallest and the weakest tribe so god is gonna pick somebody from the smallest tribe yet he's describing him as a mighty man of power it means most likely he was a warrior or he was somebody who had money or he works in a in a connection to some of the leaders So he's picking somebody from a small tribe, yet somebody who has the ability to lead. And he had a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. The people wanted a king. And God, as I said, I'm going to use this expression, is a team player. He said, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king. Almost, I'm going to support him as much as I can. I'm going to try to pick somebody that, to, to become a king, and I will teach him as much as I can so he can become a good king. But in order for God to pick a king that Israel would like, He has to have a quality also that Israel would appreciate. What's the one quality they want to look for? Somebody who's strong, who looks big, who has muscles, good looking. Someone that seems attractive to the people. And by the way, this is something not strange to humanity. I remember a while ago I was reading an article. talks about how most people tend to be much nicer to attract to attractive people than non attractive people. Whether at grocery stores and anywhere else. As a human, we sometimes treat people differently based on the way they look. So God is telling them, I will get you somebody, and it's not God is revenging, I'm going to get you a bad king that will oppress you. I'm going to get you a king. I'm going to train him. I'm going to help him. And he's going to look good like he, what you want. And then we will see what happens with this king. Now the donkey of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkey. Donkeys were often, sometimes would go astray from their owners at this time. So his father told him, take one of the servants. Usually when he says take one of the servants, it means like one of the head servants and with you to start looking for the donkey. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalash, but they did not find them. They passed through the land of Shalim. They were not there. Then they passed the land of Benjaminite, but they did not find them. Basically, the, the land of Shalash, this is located near Gelgal. This is one of the cities that uh, Samuel used to go to. Shalim is Shemesh, which we talked about earlier. And, and they went to the land of Benjamin, and now they're going to almost Ramah, where Samuel lives. Saul, obviously, has been moving around looking for the donkey. And it seems like one of the qualities that God likes to choose in his people is the people who look for the lost. Now, a donkey is known to be a valuable animal, but also a not, might not be very, very smart. So he's a a vulnerable being, and God is starting by teaching him to look for him. How many days? They've been searching for days. So when they had come to the land of Zoath, Saul said to his servants, who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkey and become worried about us. Now Saul became discouraged. He said, Look, we cannot find the donkey. But if we wait too long, our parents might worry about us more than the donkey now. It's been a few days. There's no cell phones. There's nothing. So let's go back. Look what happened. And he said to him, now the servant said to Saul, look now. There is in the city a man of God and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely come to pass. Wow. This is a description of Samuel. All what he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. It seems that Saul knows nothing about Samuel. He doesn't know know the spiritual leader in town. Land of Israel. His servant knows. And his servants didn't even say Samuel's name. He told him the man of God. They don't even know his name. Saul is ignorant. Or maybe too young to know who Samuel is. But they know that Samuel, whatever he says, comes to Bath. Whatever Samuel says will happen. Wow. This is the power of the children of God. This is the power of the children of God. So Saul said to his servants, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? It was, common to, it was common, customary to bring a gift, even in, in, even in Egypt. You guys remember when your parents go visit another house, they always take something with them, you know? A bag of oranges, Pepsi, anything, right? They don't go empty-handed. It's a, it's a, it's a custom in the Middle East. And you see this also in 1 King 14 and Second King 5. It's very, very typical that when we go to people's houses, to bring a gift. So it's nice also that Saul, when he's talking to a servant, you don't feel like a master talking to a servant. You feel like, you know, they're kind of equal. They're talking. He's having conversation. He's a reasonable man. And the servant answered Saul again and said, "Look, I have here a hand of one fourth of a shekel of silver. That's almost equivalent to fifty cents." So I told him, look, I have 50 cents with me. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. And they're acting with simplicity. I have 50 cents. It's almost like going to, to a holy man. and Look, I have 50 cents. This is all the gift I have with you. Formerly in Israel, this is an, an explanation. When a man went to inquire to God, he spoke thus Come, let us go to the seer, for he who is now called the prophet was formerly called a seer. So basically, whoever wrote this part, it's, it's Samuel, or, or remember I said it's either Samuel, Prophet Gad, or Prophet Nathan. He's explaining to us that in, in the old days, they were used to use the word seer instead of a prophet, because he's someone who can see what we can't see. In the West, they they use a typical vocabulary, they call them mystics. The mystics are people who have spiritual experiences. I was just telling some people a few minutes ago, when I was watching a documentary about Abuna Fanusa and Babula, I have seen a group coming from overseas to go in his room in the the monastery, they're all all, uh, uh, foreigners, Just to sit with him and take his blessing. Because he sees what we don't see. There are people who are channels of God's grace. And they have a spiritual eye that we all wish to strive to have. Then Saul to his servants, well said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. So here all of this... It shows you that Saul is a reasonable man. He's listening to his servant. They have in conversation. But all this will change when Saul has power. And you will see that his reasonableness and ability to talk to people will change significantly. As they went up the hill to the city, they met some young woman going out to draw water. And they said to them, is the seer here? Obviously, when the city is like a, a place that has the walls. And they go in and they go in and tell them, where is the prophet? Usually, the man of God, in any place, he will be on the top of the mountain in the city. This is a place where he can meditate, away from distractions. When you also at the top of the mountain, you see the world very small. If you're uh, riding the airplane and you look from the window, everything looks like very little. Usually, you see the man of God... They are on the mountain. They come, finish a task, they go back up to the mountain. They go to do something, go back to their bedroom and pray and talk to God. And they answered the, the, the woman answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high places obviously all of this seems like a story where you say like what is this has to do with anything we're going to see how all these things were planned by the providence of God to allow Samuel and Saul to meet to allow Samuel and Saul to meet this was not done by accident but there's one thing I want to explain to you because this is going to be so confusing as we go along so make sure you take notes it says that Samuel is offering sacrifice where? on the high places places now keep something in mind. When we have the tent of covenants or the temple, which we're going to have later, high places means people used to worship pagans. Because there's already a place to worship God. When the place of God was destroyed, shell was destroyed, a high places were a place where they worship God. Is that clear? So here when he's saying, they're offering high, uh, sacrifice in the high places, they're worshiping God. Later on, when the temple is built, you'll see some people going to offer sacrifices in the high places, they are worshiping the idols. This is the practice of the Canaanites. Okay? As soon as you come to the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat The people not eat until what? Until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up for about this time and you will find him. So in the old days, there was a sacrifice of peace or sacrifice of peace. And usually Samuel has to come and pray for us. It's almost one of the other representations of the Eucharist where he has to bless the sacrifice so they all can eat. It's a banquet. It's a meal. Like our Lord prayed, had the Eucharist over a meal. And this is where we get our practice whenever we're gathering in the church. We always pray before we eat and usually the highest ranking uh, clergy would lead us in prayer. From the old days, this is something new. Nothing new. From the old days, it is common that the highest priest will bless the food, the sacrifice, and they go. They eat. Nobody eats until they pray. And it's common. Unfortunately, sometimes when we don't have an official meal, like you're getting something from McDonald's or something on the way, people don't pray. We should always pray before we eat. We'll take maybe one more verse. So they went up to the city as they were coming into the city. There was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Up to this point, it seems like everything is happening by accident. They lost the donkey. They searched for it for a few days. All of a sudden, they found themselves in the city next to the city of the man of God. His servant sold on top. Let's go to the man of God. He said, oh, I don't have money. Oh, I found 50 cents. Let's go give it to him. They entered the city. By accident, as they're going in, they see some woman. Where is the man of God? He just came. They go in. He's coming out. Sounds like a very irrelevant story so far. Now, the key comes in verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, he told him, A. tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the land of the Philistines and I have looked upon my people because of their cry has come to me. God has already informed Samuel of his plan. You see, Samuel when he promised the people that he will have a king He was praying. lifted up to God. Until God came and showed him that Saul is the king. Samuel waited for God's guidance. Every small step, Samuel asked for God's guidance. Every small step. I remember, I've told you this before. I think Abuna, I I think Abuna Makhil Ibrahim he used to say whenever he's walking from the church to his, to his home at the street intersections he would pray asking God to show him which route he wants him to take today in case if God wants him to meet somebody in his way. A lot of times we're interested in God's will when it comes to big decisions. Who I'm going to marry, which school I'm going to go to, all this big stuff. But Samuel, in every God already told him, yes, listen to them, get them a king. He didn't like set. Okay, let's have a committee and let's try to figure out which king we're gonna pick and what we're we gonna do. He lifted in the hands of God. We need all of us to take some time to pray before making decisions. Before we're making decisions, a lot of times we only pray. When we have no power to take any actions. Like you're talking to somebody and they broke up with you. And now you're hurt. I want to pray so God can solve it. Where where, where was God before all of that? He got a job and your boss is so mean to you. Where was God before that? We pray when we lose control. Samuel had all the control, but he continued to pray, and glory be to God forever.